Hi, this is Al Martin. Welcome to Making Data Simple. I think we're finally headed into summer. And while all your TV shows are reruns, you can still count on our good friends here at uh, Making Data Simple. We're going to have new content weekly, so you can't miss it. Today, I have with me David Townsend. He's the head of design for Data and AI at, at IBM. A little bit about David, if I may. He's an alum of the Art Center School of Design in Transportation Design. He can tell us more about that, I presume. But his areas of uh, uh, expertise include multi-cloud, ML, AI, data visualization, and AR. Um, but you know, I know he's got a history of design in, in various industries. We, we, we'll probably dive into that. He currently manages four design studios staffed with um, UI designers, graphics, strategy and research, front-end development, I could go on and on. And I think maybe most important of all, in 2018, I think there were two awards. No, there was one award in 2018, which was the award for the best uh, user experience. And in 2017, he received a red dot award for the best user experience in, in user interface. So look, I, I, I'll get into all that, but welcome, David. Thank you for being on the, the podcast. We want to talk to you and talk to your ex expertise around uh, design. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks so much for the invitation, Al. I'm really looking forward to uh, for the next hour. <laughs> so um, background, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, you covered it pretty well there, but my um, my background obviously is design. My degree is in automotive design. It's kind of where my passion with design started all the way back to, I think I was around six years old, drawing cards on my parents' walls um, in their house. So that didn't go over real well. But um, I think they're happy at this point <laughs> making a career and um, able to support myself uh, doing that. So, so how do you go from... Uh, auto design to yeah to AI and, and everything we're doing in, in data and AI. Yeah, I'm not really sure to be honest with you. <laughs> kind of a, a journey that you uh, you never plan out. You just kind of uh, roll with it, and opportunities come up and present themselves. Um, I get that asked. I get asked that question quite a bit. How do you go from automotive design now to do an ML and very complicated? enterprise type software design. And what, what I generally just tell people, the process of design is the same. So whether you're designing cars for General Motors or you're designing the latest BlackBerry or Motorola or Samsung products, or you're working on enterprise software, the process itself of design and running design teams and creating design organizations, design languages, that's all the same. And it encompasses, you know, putting all that together and then working within your design um, community that you're building up and, and supporting. And almost more importantly, working closely with your partners. So, um, you know, here at, at IBM, it's working with the developers, the engineers like yourself, and then also with the OMs and product managers. So it's, it's working with the three teams together, and that process is the same whether you're designing cars or doing cell phones or doing enterprise software. Um, the products are different, very, very different. This is by far the hardest, most complicated um, portfolio I've ever worked on. And to me, that gets me excited, and um, I think that resonates with the designers themselves because um, we learn something every day, and we're on the forefront of uh, technology now. 
Yeah, but how how is that the same? Because uh, when I look at it, I mean, when I think of a, a car, I'm an engineer. So look, I'm out of my element when it comes to design. That's why I got married for. She, she does all the designing for me, picks out my clothes. <laughs> I don't look like a fool. I worry about the, the engineering side of life. But the, so the question, I, I don't know what I'm trying to say is I don't know how you go from an industrial design to like software design. Because, you know, industrial design, you know, you're... you're you're shaping cars. Uh, well, by the way, I can see how that's your 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 passion. That's that's you know, kind of fun stuff. Then you go into software design, which is also fun stuff. But then it's it's, you know, you got a digital backbone. It's completely one you can touch. The other one, uh, you you you. I guess you've 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 got to feel it someplace. I mean, t- tell me more about it because it's hard for me to make that translation, not being a designer. Yeah, no, it's a great question, and it's something that we're you know I think about a lot. When I first started off, graduated out of Bart Center and worked at Toyota, we were known, and I didn't like the I didn't like the the, the name or the connotation. We were known as stylists. You know, here's the package, David, and take this and make it look pretty, and you know, hopefully we can sell, you know, a couple hundred thousand uh, units of this car. Um, and that's that was the approach back then, and. As the industry grew and the you know it got more sophisticated, some of the car companies started realizing we've got to do a lot more than just make a, a beautiful car out there. It's more about the experience itself. And nowadays we get into the the play of it's an end-to-end experience. And you know what, the way we looked at it in the automotive industry, it's from the moment that you pick up that key in the morning to go out to drive yourself to work. What does that experience encompass? What is that about? As you go out and approach the car and you open it up and you sit down and it talks back to you in that environment, you know, that end-to-end experience that you're about to have with this product. And it's no different from what we're doing here at IBM. What is that end-to-end experience that we're creating here and encompassing? And so um, it is, it's not a consumer-facing product, so it's a little bit more difficult to explain to your colleagues and your friends and your neighbors, but it's almost the same thing. ICP for data is a great example of that, creating a new platform that encompasses, you know, some complicated pieces within our portfolio into an end-to-end experience that users like to use, it's easy to use, and at the end of the day, you end up with some incredible visuals and and, um, outcomes. So it's taking all that and putting it together and just changing kind of the mindset from a car to a cell phone to um, enterprise software. And that process, that process still involves, you know, we need time to do research and strategy. We need time to focus on the overall, um, you know, design language that we're developing and what is that time frame that we have that the design team has to, uh, to build this? Um, the life cycle when you're doing automotive design is very long because of the testing and the complications in terms of building the tools and the factories and all that. Um, at General Motors, the last car company I worked at, it was anywhere from four to six years. And so, but the window for actually designing the product itself was very, very short. In fact, I had a one of my last projects uh, when I was at General Motors was a, uh, a Buick, a new Buick that's coming out, still not on the market yet. But our time frame for the design was only four weeks. 
And this is on a product that's going to take over six years to get out of market. So is that that product you refer to, that Buick, is it still yet to come out or do you even know? It's still yet to come out. Um, I do have a car that I'm pretty excited about. I worked a lot on the interior and that's going to be the new mid-engine Corvette that's going to be launched. Um, that's going to be launched next uh, month. And again, I left General Motors over five years ago. So you can see how long these products take. And when I started at GM, that car was well um, into the design phase. And so you, you can get a sense of how long it takes and how quickly you move off it. But anyway, getting back to, I think, to your original question, it's that process that we're working with, trying to have the, you know, the design timeline built in that's long enough for the designers to work and get the, the overall scope of the product um, you know, worked out and to work on future concepts and work on new technologies and understand that versus just creating almost like a, a term that I use a lot here at IBM is we're not Kinko's. You know, don't come in here expecting to get icons or, you know, a fancy PowerPoint. It's just not what we do, and it's not something I ever supported. We're here for an end-to-end -end user experience, um, and we want to be part of the, the overall scope and, and um, dynamics of the overall portfolio planning. Yes, so got it. Thank you for that. By the way, David earlier mentioned uh, ICP for data, which is our IBM Cloud Private for data, which is our microservices architecture that if you've been listening to earlier the podcast, you know what that is. We may may hit it on it further. But let's go back. I mean, you, so you worked. Yeah. Did you work for the big three? You worked for at least one General Motors. You've worked for Toyota. Where else you? Those Any are other? the big ones right there. I was fortunate to get a Toyota scholarship when I was at Art Center. Um, so that helped out greatly. And then it enabled me just to step into uh, back into the studio and work for Toyota and work on the Lexus um, product line. When I was at General Motors, I was head of interiors and head of the UI UX, um, but that encompassed the entire corporation. So that was seven major brands. Um, some of the brands like Chevrolet alone, as a standalone um, car company, Chevrolet, I believe is number two or number three in the world. So these, mm -hmm. are, these are some pretty big product portfolios. I'm amazed that it takes, you know, you talk about the Buick that you designed, you've left that, left that company, what, over five years ago, and it's still yet to, to come out. That's, that's like, that's crazy to me. Either Tesla's got to be operating a little bit faster than that, you wouldn't think. Yeah. I don't They're know. Definitely working on a faster scale and getting away with, um, whether it's good or bad, they're getting away with some things that probably Ford and General Motors and some of the larger companies um, wouldn't attempt or would be, would be able to get away with. Um, good and bad with that in terms of moving fast and updating your, your product line as it's out on the market. Um, companies like General Motors, it's conservative. It's conservative for a reason because they cannot afford the recalls. They can't afford for something to go wrong. Unfortunately, while I was at General Motors, they were experiencing the um, situation with the um, ignition and the ignition locking up. Um, and it turned into a, you know, just an absolute nightmare for the entire industry and especially for General Motors, obviously. Um, it can really, really set you back if not bankrupt the company. So they can't afford to have those type of mistakes. 
Yeah, I, I, I got you. That, that makes sense. So uh, before I move on from that, there's something that must have lured you into software because, you know, I know I've talked to you offline in the past and um, I believe cars and automotive continues to be your your passion. Yes. So you're moved away from your passion. There must have been something that got you to move. Yeah, it's a couple of things. Um, you always hear the saying, you know, follow your passion and all that. And sometimes you need to be cautious about it, um, following your passion and, and especially if it's your hobby. So um, when you're inundated around cars all day long and the issues and the problems and the finance and all that, um, it moved away from my passion pretty quickly. Um, now it is again. Um, but getting back to your original question, what got me to IBM, what got me into the software, it the credit goes to um, literally to one person, that's Phil Gilbert. Um, when I got down there to IBM for the first time and got to meet Phil and meet his staff and people like Adam Cutler and such, and just the vision that he had of creating the world's largest design organization, of turning one of the largest, if not the largest software company in the world around through design and design thinking, and to be able, very rarely do you have opportunities come to you with an opportunity like that to uh, be part of history. And I was just, I, I was so excited about that opportunity of working and giving this a shot. Um, and especially at this point in my career, um, to do something on this scale. And it was like, wow, man, these guys are really going to bet. You know, they're really going to Vegas and making the big bets on this. And to be part of that organization and be part of that journey, I did not want to miss that. That sounds fair enough. So you talked a little bit about um, design, but where where do you see, how did, well, how do I want to phrase this question? Where does it live in the process of product development though? I mean, where do you see it in that? I mean, where, where does the inflection points that design comes in? How does it work? Could you could you elaborate on that with our listeners? Yeah, I, you know, again, it encompasses the, the entire process. So I think in the past, IBM treated design, what I refer to almost as a, um, almost like a Kinko's, you know, come in at the very end, Try to pretty this up. Can you make the icons look a little bit better? And by the way, you've got till Thursday. Um, and it just drove the designers and the product, and you just didn't end up with anything that was very compelling, let alone usable. And we use the term, and I don't like using it anymore, but we've always, no matter what industry, industry I'm working within, we're always using the phrase that we want to have a seat at the table. And through Phil Gilbert and his work and the vision with Rob Thomas and, you know, bringing design and, and Dinesh to the forefront within our portfolio, we have a seat at the table. We definitely have a seat at the table at this point. And now what I emphasize to all my staff and to everyone within the studio, we have a seat at the table. Now we've got to be relevant. We've got to be providing the insights and the vision and the roadmaps and that end-to-end -end experience that we're capable of, of providing, we have to start providing that. That so, we're not Kinko's, we're not a service bureau, that we're here for the long terms. And ICP for Data is a great example of that, of creating an entire brand new platform within our portfolio 
from the moment that you download and go this this product and get it up on your desktop um, to at the very end coming up with these incredible visualizations of your data. So you know, back to the original question though. So does that mean design? You know, does offering management as their outline plans for a new offering, new product, new feature, whatever the case may be, is it their role to ping design and say, look, we need you to come in, help guide us, et cetera, without slowing things down. How does that, um, how does that tug of war work? Yeah, it's, it's definitely, I hate using the word tug of war, um, <laughs> you know, because we're, we're trying to get away from that whole mentality of, us against them or them against us and, you know, the cliches of design slowing everything down. Um, we're trying to do it right. You know, we've got one chance to do it right. We don't want to go back and have to redo the product again, or we think we're in the right direction and we go off to a key customer and the feedback's just, it's still unusable. It looks better, but it's not usable. And so in order to pull all this off, we have to work all three disciplines together. You know, so again, don't utilize design as a service bureau to step in at the end of the day and, and try to make it look pretty. Use them as a key factor in, in determining how this is going to play out, what the roadmap is going to be, how that product from the moment that you find it to downloading and going to, again, that whole user experience. Um, we play a critical role with that and we staff up with, you know, world-class talent in terms of research and strategy and UX uh, to help to help our users and help develop in, in OM with this. Does that mean though that you should be, you should be um, design is included organically at day zero or is OM, you know, thinking, offering management thinking, all right, now we need to head in this direction. We're gonna come up with this new product and then they engage you. Uh, I mean, just I'm trying to figure out where that, that first initial engagement is. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of both. Um, you know, we're still building up the design organization. We've been in this process, this journey now for five years. And as we ramp up, you know, again, we get back to it's a very complicated space. It's not a space that we're familiar with as, as consumers, like you, we are with cell phones and with automobiles where you can relate to it. And, People know what that experience is like. And so um, we've got to teach and get the, the our design staff as we hire them uh, familiar with our products and what we're doing. So there's a lead time with that. And again, what I emphasize with people, very rarely do we start from scratch with a brand new product. A lot of what we have are legacy products that we're going back and cleaning them up, making them modern, making them more usable and everything. Um, and so... The term, you know, not only has a train left the station, it's going 200 miles an hour, and at what juncture, at what point are we going to jump on board? So we've always got those challenges that we have to uh, have to deal with. And we talked about working, you know, with OM on the entire experience. You know, ICP for data is a good example where we've got, I think we've got 12 OMs currently on the, uh, on the program. And so each one of them has a slice of the product. Each one of them has a uh, set of priorities they have to deliver, and this is what they're responsible for. And design is really the only place that's looking across all 12 OMs. 
looking across the entire experience and saying, hey, this isn't working here. Or, you know, you guys are on a different design language than these guys. And how are we going to pull this together? So we're one of the few areas, Al, that looks at the entire product itself and is able to um, reflect that in the design and into the roadmap itself, you know, as we're building it. Do your designers need a technical background? Uh, yes and no. Um, it really depends on the individual. We've got, I don't know how you put it sometimes, we've got pure designers coming in who've never worked on software or enterprise software, and they do absolutely fantastic. We've got designers that um, maybe have a, a master's degree in design and started off as a developer. Um, and they were just more passionate and more, um, yeah, I guess that's a good term. They were more passionate and interested and really wanted to get in design and went back and got a master's degree, but they're able to code and understand what we're doing. So it's a mixture of both to answer your question. Um, but in this space, as you know, you have to be able to learn every day and research and go home and watch podcasts um, and try to stay up to date because it moves so quickly. And again, it's a, we're just at the starting field for this technology. So, um, so, but just to make sure I'm clear, you say the question is designers need a technical background. You say yes, yes. And no, some are successful with it or some are successful, uh, without it. Uh, others are equally, you know, they, they take it and use it to their advantage and, and, What's the differentiator? I mean, what, what usually makes a designer successful and or not, particularly in the software industry? In this case, I can't speak for the whole software industry because if you're building apps and stuff like that, a little bit different for the consumer. In this industry, especially at IBM, you've got to be curious. You've got to learn. And a lot of that's driven by yourself. Um, We've got incredible programs um, that we teach within IBM Design on AL and ML. Um, I've got a team that actually, and it's something we can talk about too further, um, our team dedicated AR. Um, yeah. And again, we built that up from scratch and we're one of the world leaders now in AR visualization. But you have to have that passion to learn and to understand this and to spend free time willing to sit down and read the blogs and meet with people and watch the YouTube videos or however you're doing this because so much of what we're doing, we're literally inventing and it's not taught in school. Um, but in order to stay up with it, Al, and I'm sure it's the exact same, you know, maybe even compl more complicated for your development teams and all the new softwares and, you know, Kubernetes and everything else that just comes in overnight. Well, what I heard from you is just like, <clears throat> just comes back to the will to succeed, being passionate about good design and, and end end user experience. And it starts with learning, constant learning. I mean, I think it's certainly where, yeah, any developer today, it's not one of the, we no longer live in the universe where you get out of school and that's what you do the rest of your life. You got to continually uh, change to, to survive. And I think a lot of people don't like that. There's a lot of, you know, resistance to that. You know, I think we're naturally resistant sometimes to change, but that's absolutely required. And by the way, um, we did have Rena Ganga and Jenna Goldberg on that talked about augmented reality some time ago. So the listeners can go back to that one. 
Um, you, um, they, they were one of our first designers to come in and, and talking about the, that project. But let me, let me ask you this. You go back to the tug of war, and I, but there's always a tug of war in that. And you don't want it to be so. I agree with you. Uh, but you know, that doesn't mean it's just a tug of war with design. There's tug of wars with development and offering management. I mean, it's just a checks and balances, so to speak on a positive way to look at it. But the question I would ask you then is everybody operates on a budget and I'm certain there, there are developers out there or even probably offering managers say, ah, I know design. We don't need these guys, whatever the case may be, just you know, vice versa. I'm sure it's just as well. In other words, offering management doesn't think we need as many developers or whatever the case may be. How do you demonstrate value in those scenarios when you come in and say, no, we need to spend more time on design. And furthermore, we need to slow down the development process until we get it right. How, how do you, and, and given time to market is so difficult, right? And so there's so much pressure. How do you differentiate and promote that mentality within a business that, uh, you know, getting releases out is, is everything. It's time, time to market, time to market, time to market. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. It's a huge question. It goes back again from the beginning of the podcast where we talk about that process doesn't change. You know, when I was at, at General Motors, finance ran the company. It definitely ran my departments on how much budget I had to put into the parts and the interiors that we were building. And so that was definitely a tug of war um, that we weren't winning. Um, it's, how do I put this? Um, that tension is good for everyone. You know, and it's always the dy dynamics are a little bit different no matter where you go. When I worked at Samsung, it was a design-led company, engineering company. Design was over R&D in a lot of respects. And so it made it, it made it a little bit easier for us. We had a little bit more time to, to build and experiment and play with the products. Um, but that was just how it was at Samsung. Um, here... You know, I think we're moving we're moving away from the old days of we've got these releases. It's about this release. You've got to have this out by Thursday. The emphasis has been on the end-to-end -end experience, on how well the product works with our customers, what the feedback is from the customers, how our NPS scores are doing. Um, you mentioned at the beginning some of the awards that we've won from uh, some very prestigious um, design organizations like the Red Dot Award, the IF Award, and probably what I'm most proud of now of, of receiving in my entire career is one of our teams for the very, very first time just received the Corporate Te Technical Award in design at IBM. And that was for uh, SPSS stats. So it's the first time that design's been re recognized by corporate um, IBM for, for that internal award, which is very prestigious. So it's a measurement of, of taking all those together. You know, NPS, design awards aren't the end all, but it definitely validates that we're going in the right direction and we're, we're getting recognized by our peers um, in the industry itself. It's the recognition from the customers and the feedback that my God, you know, these products are beautiful and they're usable and, you know, you're really, really on the right track here. And we hear that feedback, not only from the customers, but almost more importantly, from people like you, Al, and from Dinesh and, and, and Rob Thomas, when they go out now, they come back and it's like, guys, you're on the right track. 
you know, you're doing the right thing. So it's a, it's a balance of all those, I guess you can say. Um, it's not just one item that we can validate design is doing its job. It's a feedback process and it's a continually learning, um, you know, where we can get more input. How easy is it to find our products? How easy is it to download and go and get up and running on your, um, on your equipment, on your hardware? Look, I was going to save this more towards the end in that, uh, but I'll say it now is that uh, yeah, we are at the, I don't, I think it's fact. I was going to say it's in my opinion, but I think it's fact. We're at the age of experience at this point in time and design is huge. And, uh, you know, certainly from my standpoint, I'm more of an engineer. I'm more, um, you know, aligned with that feature. I need somebody to come in and help me with the, the experience, the usability. I also like what design has brought to IBM. And, um, you know, we've really, really over the, I don't know, what is it, five years, really promoted the concept of great design. And you guys have brought in the idea on how to think differently, like the design thinking uh, that we do in, uh, you know, empathy for the client, you know, how, how they feel, what they feel, et cetera. And some of these, you know, these are really good in terms of prioritizing based on client outcomes. You know, sometimes you get, um, particularly development organizations, I've managed a lot of them, they tend to get kind of in their own silo and enamored with what they're doing versus what the client outcomes uh, are that they're really trying to uh, uh, to target. And that's where I think design comes in uh, and, and certainly helps. Uh, I, got a, I got a question on design thinking here in just a second, but I want to go back. So in kind of in the same thread, because I'm just interested in this one is, how do you find the right number of designers on a specific project? Like for development, we'll look at it. We'll scope the, uh, you know, the sides of feature and function, put it together, make some educated guesses, uh, and then, you know, usually decide where we want to, you know, when we want to have the MVP. And then we reverse engineer that back in terms of how many like person years, person months that we need. Is it the same process for designer? How do you guys go about aligning designers? Because, you know, you've got a few, like you said, well, I don't know if you said this earlier, but I think you had a few designers on, on Cloud Pack for Data, right? It's not just like one designer. Yeah, we try to, we try to avoid that at all costs. Um, and that's how it was, you know, before I started, before Phil Gilbert put this whole program together, that's how, how it was run. And I'm sure you're very familiar with that, um, Al one designer working on one or two projects at least. Um, and they're completely lost and overwhelmed and had no idea what was going on. It was just miserable for them. Um, right now we have a criteria of having at least five designers working on a project. And that encompasses, you know, working on a team, um, having a research and strategy, UI, UX, um, graphic designer, all working on the same problem, set of problems. And when we do it right, um, we try to drive it through design thinking and kicking off, having a, um, you know, kickoff meeting, whether it's here in SVL or Bobolin or in Austin, having a proper kickoff meeting and get all the players in the same room, get the chief architects and yourself. And you've been part of quite a few of those, Al, <laughs> and seen firsthand the results of getting everyone in the room for two, three days. And especially when you have multiple architects and, you know, a couple of OMs, Everyone's got their own idea. Everyone's got their own vision. 
And it's one place that design's done really well is pulling it together, coming up with one, two, three critical hills that everyone agrees upon, making those understandable and objectable in terms of this is something that we can do, um, signing off on it, and then also having a, um, a due date. This is going to be due, you know, da 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 this month, you know, this year. Um, we're going to come back and, and run the playbacks and such. So getting a solid direction from everyone, and this is what we agree to do. These are the priorities. Here's the time frame. And from that scope of work, we can get a pretty good understanding of how many designers are going to be needed, how many developers have been you know, assigned to it, and trying to get a, a decent ratio of maybe 20 developers, 25 developers per designer. And so we kind of, we've got some guidelines there, but that's usually the, a good starting point right there. So I'm a huge fan of design thinking. You're right. I've went through many of these, but can you, you talk about getting to the three hills. Can you talk a little bit, and a lot of these people that are listening, our listeners may ne- never have taken a, uh, or never been involved within a design thinking session. Can you kind of talk to the methodology and where you start and how do you get those three hills? Yeah, it's, it's the most critical aspect is getting the key players, the key architects, you know, the OMs, in the same room, hopefully in the same room, and getting agreement on, okay, what is it we're trying to solve here? What are the big problems that we have? Is the product usable? Is it downloaded? Whatever that set of questions is going to be, getting everyone on the same page. Because what happens is, like we talked about before, before, like with ICP for Data, we've got upwards of 12 different OMs. working on that platform and each has their own set of technical requirements. They have their own slice of the pie, their own deadlines and a lot of pressure being applied to them. But how can we get agreement that we're creating a platform that's usable, you know, for our end uh, consumers and getting agreement on this is what we need to prioritize on and simplifying. We can't emphasize that enough out. How can we simplify this whole process? How can we simplify the, uh, the design process in, in building these products and simplify that for the end consumer? Yeah, uh, so I'm with you. So look, if, you, if the listeners haven't heard of design thinking, I'd highly recommend you go out, get a book on it. I don't know if David, you have a book to recommend, but I would absolutely to, to explore it because uh, it's a great way to get to the three hills, get everybody aligned uh, and marching in the same direction. So tell me a bit about, uh, look, I, I know you guys know what the hell you're doing because you've won a couple of significant awards and I would be remiss if I didn't let you talk to those and, and kind of convey the importance of them. You won, um, well, go ahead and talk to the, I know one of them's a red dot award, but talk, there's another one that was award for the best user experience. Are, are those well, I mean, I presume that they're very well regarded in the industry. I know of Red Dot, et cetera. Uh, but what does it mean to a designer? Can you talk, elaborate on that a little bit? Oh, that's a great accolade. I mean, just overall to be able to have that in your portfolio. And again, when you go home at night and you're going out and having dinner with your friends and all that, and you hear the comment, we all hear it. What does IBM do anymore? What is it you guys do? And to be able to say, you know, not only the products and the importance of what we're working on, and we're at the forefront of technology, but to acknowledge that we're winning these very, very prestigious um, IF awards, Red Dot awards, 
Spark Awards, getting recognized by your peers within IBM, that's huge. And it just makes you really feel, it makes you feel good and makes you feel validated. And, you know, I've been doing this for a long time and to be able to go back even, it's going to be Father's Day here pretty soon. And I got one of the, the awards framed and I'm going to give it to my 85-year-old dad for uh, for Father's Day. <laughs> that's in great. For, for entrusting you to continue on your uh, journey of uh, design. Good. I need to think of something for my dad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just, uh, I love doing this. And, and I think likewise with the rest of the team and they love working at this company and working with really, really smart people like yourself, Al. <laughs> Thank you for that. Well, look, I, I have a great uh, respect for design. So where do you think the future of data and design are, are going? Uh, whether that be reverse, uh, virtual reality, augmented reality, what's next for design? Yeah, that's a good question. I wish I had that crystal ball right here in front of me for a lot of different reasons. But, you know, at the end of the day, why are we doing all this? We want to move it to as close to a consumer product as we can, as quickly as we can, and make data, you know, that saying that we came up with a few years ago on that offsite with Rob and Beth, make data usable for everyone. You know, how do we get to that? And that's, you know, that's an interesting journey in itself right there. But um, it changes so quickly. Um, you know, at the end of the day, the visualization, why are we doing all this? Why are we building these complicated platforms? At the end of the day, we're trying to create data visualization maps and how what you've got and everything for all these customers. And how do we visualize these very complex data fields? AR, we made a bet on that. You know, we had some resistance and at the time we we're getting a lot of pushback to concentrate more on VR because that was the technology of the day. It didn't make sense because we're not a content company. We're not a gaming or, you know, like a Facebook where we've got, you know, videos and YouTube and all that. It made sense where AR just seemed like a, a perfect visualization tool going forward where you can look at it complex data fields in 3D and filter those out and look at vast amounts of data and try to simplify it. And again, to provide the user with a capability of looking at data in ways that they'd never dreamed of. You know, my, my dream was companies like, you know, American Express or, you know, Deutsche Bank or whoever it is, comes back to us and said, look at this, look at these data fields. We're immersed in it. We're in the middle of it. And we're seeing insights that no one ever dreamed of. Um, and that was kind of the starting point with AR. We just got back from a, a big VR AR conference a couple of weeks ago here in, uh, in Silicon Valley. And to um, validate what we're doing, it's, it's switched from VR now to AR. And you're starting to see a lot of the big tech companies, a lot of the enterprise um, software companies now, a lot of our competitors are getting into the AR visualization uh, field now for uh, for the data. And I'm really, really proud and happy to say, I think we're ahead, we're ahead of everyone right now. Um, but to, to get back to um, the future, it changes so quickly. You've got to have a roadmap and a vision of where you are today, where you want to be in six months and a year from now. And just hopefully you're making the right, right bet. And that's the journey in the, um, that's the journey that we're all on. 
So how, as a designer, as, you know, this is a, um, well, let me, let me back up. How do you define success at the end of the day? Is it MPS? Is it like, for me, it's easier, or maybe it's not easier. I don't know. In development, I, I've got a release. I got to get out. Uh, I've got a date that I've got to release that, you know, and then I want customers to be happy with it. So there's things like MPS, uh, there's uh, adoption, et cetera. And I presume there's a lot of crossover with design. But what are other attributes? I mean, how do you define success? When, when are you, when, when are the designers doing high fives? When they get the red dot award? <laughs> we, definitely, we definitely get a lot of high fives for that. So, and in, in, in what's really nice too, they, they have an incredible gala um, back over in Germany for these awards. And it's very, very, you know, prestigious to be able to go and get your picture taken and attend these events. But it, it's a, it's everything that you said, Al, you know, so fat, satisfaction at the end of the day, are you doing the best you can? You know, you're part of this amazing team, amazing organization, and look what we've done. And again, I can't give enough credit to Phil Gilbert and um, what he's done. We started basically from zero. We're now IBM is now the largest design organization in the world. I think we, we just had a uh, design summit a couple of weeks ago back in Columbus, Ohio at our IX studio. And I believe the number were up to 2,500 designers worldwide. Wow. A, a massive impact. So it, it, it's all of those, it's the awards, it's the NPS scores, it's the revenue growth, it's the feedback from the customers. It's a feedback from our own executives. Um, it's a combination of all that. And then like any job, it's just the satisfaction at the end of the day of, you know, where you work and who you work with and being anxious when you wake up Monday morning, just being anxious and, you know, head into work and, and knock out another week and, and work with your team. Well, what's next for you, Dave? What, what's on your list? Um, I guess just to keep, you know, nurturing and building these design organizations in the four studios that we have, uh, we were fortunate to get, you know, quite a few new headcount here for SVL um, here in Silicon Valley. So building that studio up, I love watching the dynamics of the studios. And, you know, when we first started off, it was building the studio up in the talent pool we had in Austin because of Phil and the rest of the organization. Um, rebuilding and building the team up in Bobeling, um, the satisfaction that comes from that, starting from scratch with a brand new groundbreaking studio, state-of-the-art studio in downtown San Francisco, and now building this new studio with R and the rest of the team here in SVL. You know, so it's, it's an interesting journey and process. And um, I explain to people, it's almost, it's like having four kids. You you love them all and you want to see them all do well. And you're always kind of nurturing one over the other, you know, different, you know, product and life cycles. Um, so I, I get a lot of satisfaction out of that. A lot of satisfaction of, of hiring and mentoring, mentoring designers. Um, we hate to see people leave within the organization, but in one sense, you see them go on and you see people's careers really take off after working here for a few years and going to Apple and going to some very, you know, other very prestigious, um, you know, organizations too. So it, you know, it's, it's a bit of all that Al. 
Well, look, uh, David, I appreciate all your time. Thank you for talking to us about design today. I, I, I learned a lot. Uh, I know you and I will personally continue to work together, have a few beers and, and get, you know, be involved in more uh, interactive design thinking sessions because uh, they do work. So thank you for being on the, the podcast. Again, I greatly appreciate it and you'll be welcome back anytime. Thank you, Alan. Again, thank you for all your support um, with our organization. Uh, we really do appreciate it. Now you, you'll, you'll continue to get it. It makes us, uh, makes us better. So thanks again. And for you listeners until next time, uh, we'll, we'll see you on the podcast. <laughs> see you. Thanks for listening to the making data simple podcast where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcast to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, over and out. Oh,